If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King, and I want to welcome everybody here at our Bellingham campus. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us at our Ferndale campus, and those of you who are watching online, we're glad that you're here. Most of us learned about love from Cinderella. If you're a girl, you learned one day your prince will come. If you're a guy, you learned as long as you have a nice ride, it'll go well for you in all of the stories and your fairy tales. We also learned that all stepmothers are evil, okay? Here's what's wrong with that textbook. They're lies. They're not true. And then when you kick in the love songs, it's no matter we are all, it's no wonder we are all so messed up. I mean, think about it. Love me tender. Love me true. Crazy little thing called love. I'm too sexy for my shirt. Too sexy for my shirt. Going to the chapel and it's a nice day for a white wedding. You belong with me. All right? Do you remember this one? How do I live without you? Okay, just so that you know, and for the record, that is the most codependent love song ever written. And if someone ever sings that to you and actually means it, you need to run quickly from the room because they don't need romance, they need therapy, okay? Just believe me, all right? Songs and movies are the primary teachers about love in our modern culture, which scares me to death because what that means is that most of our middle school students are learning about love from a pasty English vampire who lives in Forks, Washington (laughs) and is competing for a girl against a dude who's actually a wolf and never wears a shirt, okay? If you don't know what I'm talking about, thank you, Jesus, okay? That's what we learn is love. That's the definition we've been given for romance. The Bible is the greatest authority on love in human history. It contains the greatest love story of all. The story of how God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to come and give his life for the sins of the world. So that a relationship could be forged between God and the mankind that he loves. We're going to walk through some tough scripture i got to say this from the beginning. I love you guys when it's easy to tell the truth, and I love you when it's hard. And I've been praying all week that you'll have the courage to stick with me all of the way through, because everything we're going to talk about today is absolutely counterintuitive to everything the world has been telling you about love, dating, and sexuality. And I know I'm walking in some dangerous territory, so if you're a praying person, now would be a good time to fire it up, okay? All through Scripture, we find the theme of love. It's love according to the Bible. The Bible describes love as patient and kind and loving and forgiving, sacrificing and moving and emotional and lifelong. The Bible describes Jesus as the perfect picture of love when it says, greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friend. And if you're here today as a friend of God, that is really, really, really good news because Jesus laid down his life for you. This weekend, we're going to talk about romantic love and how it works in relationships. Over a lifetime, most people express love in, in three different ways. The first way is infantile love. It's the first blank in your outline. Infantile love kind of works like, like a baby's love. And it goes like this. Infantile love says, if you love me, I'll love you back. 
At its core, it's a selfish kind of love that always wants something in return. This is the game-playing kind of love that negotiates for affection and negotiates for attention. At its core, it's selfish. I'll I'll love you if you love me back. That's infantile love. Then we move into a stage of immature love. Immature love says, I love you because I really, really need you. This is the kind of love that's driven by a need to be needed. And here's the scary thing about immature love. It always ends in compromise. Because it's driven by the need. It's not driven by the love. There's one other kind of love. It's the kind we're going to focus on, which is mature love. Mature love says, and I need you to really think this one through. Mature love says, I need you because I love you. The need is driven by the love, not the other way around. When the need to be needed drives the relationship, it's not healthy, and it is doomed to failure. It's bound to fall apart. So I want you to keep those phrases in mind as we talk about the progression of romantic relationships that move from friendship to dating, from dating to courting, from courting to engagement, and ultimately to marriage, okay? So for those of you who are in the dating world, here it comes, the straight scoop on dating. There's another word for dating. It's fraud, okay? It's fraud. Everyone who is dating is a con artist at some level. You know that it's true. Don't deny it. And let me tell you why. The reality is nobody smells that good, talks that way, or smiles that big all the time, okay? They're putting on an act for you. When we begin dating, we only put our best foot forward because we're still connected into the world of infantile love, which kind of goes like this. If, if, you, if you love me, I'll love you back. Okay? So here comes dating according to the Bible. I'm going to break this one into the gender groups, and we're going to start with the ladies. Okay? Ladies, God says, take your time. God says love is a tender thing, and even though it feels like love at the beginning... It's not. It's like. And I want to encourage you to do something. You can fall in like as much as you want to. But you need to save love until love is ready to walk on its own. Okay? It's not love. It's like. If you're a guy, it's lust. I'm going to get to you in a minute. Okay? But if you're a female, the Bible gives this command. This is a word to the women in the room. Song of Solomon 8 verse 4 says this, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. God's saying this, there's no hurry. There's no hurry. Don't turn your need for acceptance into a competition for a, command, uh, for a companion. Don't line it up. God says it's not worth it. You let love take care of itself, and in its good time, it's going to grow and move from infantile to immature to mature. But you don't need to drive it. Let me give you a modern translation, ladies. Let love set its own pace. Don't set the pace of love on your own. You'll go too fast. Okay? Gentlemen, here it comes. When you are... Oh, here we are. When you are dating, gentlemen, remember you're dealing with one of God's daughters. Every one of you, every girl you date is the daughter of a man who could own a gun. She's also, even more importantly, a daughter of God, which means you need to treat her with respect because if you don't, you're going to answer to her heavenly father. And he will deal ever so severely with you if you mess with one of his girls. Let's be honest. As younger men, 
We are hormonally driven narcissists. We're devoid of emotion, and God calls us to a higher level. That's why Scripture gives a word to the men. Gentlemen, listen. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in the Spirit. I love that God calls young guys to a higher level. He's saying this, if you want God to give you the girl of your dreams, follow Jesus with everything you have. Unite yourself with his spirit first. Get to know her spiritual heavenly father. Learn his commands and walk with him. Be a man of integrity. Be a man of high standards. Be a man of high morals. Find your pants. Get a job. Be a guy and follow Jesus. That's what he's saying. After he says that, then he gives this warning. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside the body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. The Bible uses the word flee and abstain when it comes to sexual sin. The Greek word apekomai literally means to be completely free from. Gentlemen, let me shoot straight. The world is going to tell you you are entitled to sexual freedom. The world's going to say you can do whatever you want to, with whomever you want to, whenever you want to, and however you want to. And here's the bottom line. The world is lying to you. That's not sexual freedom. That's sexual bondage. And if you buy the lie, you're not free You're a slave to your own desire. And the Bible says to run from that kind of slavery and unite yourself with Jesus who can teach you that a real man knows how to love and how to place intimacy in the right context. Guys, can I tip you off to something? This church is filled with young ladies who would love to meet a guy who actually actually preaches and practices the same thing. Ah, I got a few of them. They would love nothing more than to meet a young man who actually had his eyes completely fixed and focused on Jesus Christ and lives to God's standard. Let me give you a modern translation, gentlemen. You cannot run towards God and sexual sin at the same time. You must choose a direction. You got to pick. Now here comes a word to both. This is why we've put a PG-12 rating on this, because I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to use the message paraphrase, but here's what I need you to know. If you have a problem with what I'm going to read, don't write me a letter. Write one to Jesus. Because these are his words, not mine. Okay? Through the Apostle Paul, here it comes. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as a physical fact. All it is written in Scripture, the two will become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the Master, meaning God, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that never becomes one. There's a sense in which sexual sins are different from all the others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love for becoming one with another. Or didn't you realize your body's a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. No, God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. Young people, if you're dating 
you are not your own. It's the most important thing I think you need to know. You do not belong to yourself. You are highly prized by God. God paid for your purity and your salvation, so please don't garage sale yourself. Don't slap a discount on your worth and sell it to the lowest smooth-talking bidder. Instead, live counterintuitively to what the world says. Live your life as a precious child of God who's worth loving. Young people, God gave you your body to honor Him and worship Him and obey Him, not dishonor Him and disregard Him. That's His standard. Here's the bottom line. When it comes to dating, never forget this. God's way is to focus on being the right person, not finding the right person. Wrap your head around that one for a little while. God's way is to focus on being the right person, not finding the right person. Okay, let me hit hit missionary dating for just a second. Everybody know what that is? That's when somebody who follows Jesus really, really likes somebody who's not following Jesus. And so they go on a missionary venture and create a relationship in hopes that that person will become a Christian. And I'm going to just, I'll just say it. Don't do it. And let me tell you why. Don't do it because the Bible says don't be unequally yoked. That's not because one is superior to the other. It's because God wants to deal with people in their individual relationship with him, not based on your relationship with them. Jesus wants them to come to him based on his love for them, not yours. Plus, think about it. If they make a decision for Christ based on your relationship, if you guys ever break up, guess what happens? You know, it's done, right? I know some of you are thinking, but I really, really like them. Break up. But they're a really, really, really nice person. Break up and remember this. God loves them way more than you ever could. So you trust their eternal destiny with him, not you. Can I get an amen from somebody? All right. So we hit love and dating. Let's get down to the good stuff. Okay, Ferndale, you can't see this, but I cannot believe I'm preaching this tonight because my parents are sitting over here in the second row, and that's just weird, okay? But God had him here. Wow, here we go. Okay, let's talk about sexuality according to the Bible. I'm just going to say this out loud so we get it right from the beginning. This is God's high standard According to Genesis 1, the entire book of Leviticus, Romans 11, 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians 5 and 6, Galatians, the whole book, pretty much everything from Genesis to Revelation. This is God's high standard, whether you would have an issue with it or not. Okay, here it comes. God's high standard is any sexual expression outside of the bonds of a heterosexual marriage does not meet God's standard. That's what the word says. Okay, so now let me lay it out for you. It means this. If you're not married, you should not be having sexual relations or contact of any kind, ever, no matter what, period. Thank you, Jesus. No more debate. Amen. That's what scripture says, okay? Now, some of you are like, but I have urges, okay? I have the urge to go to the restroom right now, but I'm not going to because I have standards, okay? Just so we're clear, all right? Live to a higher level, all right? 
And God has an even higher standard. God's standards are higher than the standards that the world teaches and operates on. And God's standards were put there, not for our punishment, but for our protection. Some of you are thinking, this is where he's going to tell me to find my pants. Yes, I am. Okay, here it comes. God's standard means that anything outside of that relationship sexually, anything, that means the guy who's surfing porn, the girl who's sleeping around to find acceptance, the dude who's having an affair, the girl who's having an affair, the dating couple who keep compromising over and over and over again, the couple who are living together as man and wife, but are not man and wife and justify it by saying we're married in the eyes of God. And so much more that I couldn't even unpack. As much as I love you, I have to love you enough to say this to you. You are living in violation of God's standard for you. And you're not free. But you can be. But you can be. Let me make this just abundantly clear, okay? God doesn't condemn sex. He condemns sex outside of marriage. Some of you are asking the question, where's the line? Okay? If you're not married, God doesn't even give you a line, all right? The answer is just no. It's don't do anything. Nothing up, nothing down. Don't do anything until you're married, and then you get to do everything. Thank you, Jesus. It's good, okay? I can say that. I'm married, all right? Some of you are going, but how do we get to know each other? It's called talking, all right? You speak to each other with a table in between. It's good. It's not scary, okay? Try that first. It'll go well for you, all right? And I'm not going to be the cop up here and go, well, you should draw the line with this kind of hand-holding, interlaced fingers, kissing on the cheek and the forehead. I'm not going to be your junior Holy Spirit, okay? The Trinity's already full, so I'm going to say this. You know the difference between, ex between expressing affection, genuine affection for another human being and crossing the line into sexuality. If you cross the line into anything that's sensual, you're going the wrong way. And God loves you enough to say, no, 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 back up. You let your heart come to me. You let your soul come to me. I can help you fulfill that need to be needed. Okay, I'm going to set the record straight on sex, all right? Sex in the right context, which is within God's standard, is a good thing. As a married male, I think God was a genius when he created physical intimacy, all right? I'm a big fan, all right? I can say that. I'm married, all right? In the right context, it's beautiful. Sex outside of the right context is damaging. And it pulls out shame and regret and hurts because you're trying to be intimate with someone that you're not one with and that always ends with the same feeling. It's the feeling of emptiness. Some of you are like, well, I've been sleeping with my girlfriend. I don't feel empty. Wait. then you get to that place where it's, but, but he said he loved me. She said I was perfect. He said he'd always be there for me. She said I was the only one. 
And now they're gone, and I'm empty. If that's you, Jesus said, I don't want you to be empty. I want you to experience life to the full. And you experience life to the full when you do this my way. Because if you do it my way, I'll protect your heart. Let's talk about being full in this area, okay? Here's what the Bible teaches. God created healthy sexual expression for, okay? Married folks in the room, I hope you know this. If you don't, it's a refresher to everybody else. It's something to look forward to in God's perfect plan. Amen? So we know where we are? Okay, here we go. God created healthy sexual expression for pleasure and comfort. You don't believe me? Read the Song of Solomon. It's a beautiful expression of a woman and her lover and how they create pleasure and comfort for each other. If you're one of those people who was told a long time ago that sex doesn't feel good in hopes that you wouldn't do it, whoever told you that is a liar, okay? They're a liar because it is pleasurable and comfortable within the right context. I'm going to keep saying it to you over and over and over again. Within the right context, it's a beautiful thing. Outside of the right context, it'll crush you. So God created self, healthy sexual expression for pleasure and comfort. Check out the Song of Solomon if you don't believe me. Secondly, he created healthy sexual expression for having children. Genesis 1.28. Be fruitful and multiply and increase in number. All right? If you don't know this, you probably should. One of the blessings of healthy sexuality is children. Okay? They're wonderful things. And if, 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 if you're, you know, you're ready to make that decision and you're ready to expand a family or start a family, whatever it is, listen to last week's message on parenting because that just might slow you down just a bit, okay? Okay, but the Bible says healthy sexual expression for having children. Thirdly, God created healthy sexual expression for oneness. Genesis 2.24 says this, and the husband and the wife will become one flesh, okay? Here's the problem with those of you who are not married, but you're having sex anyway because you think you're smarter than God, okay? Here's the problem. You're not one, you're two. You got two futures, you've got two ideas, two bank accounts, two lives, two agendas, two futures. You've got two of everything. And the Bible says you can't experience oneness when you're actually two. Does that make sense? It's not rocket science, okay? When you come together as one, you share the deepest part of your body and your soul. And the Bible says two become one, and two can't become one if they're still living their lives as if they were two, okay? The goal of oneness is not even physical intimacy. It's spiritual oneness, it's where you are so interwoven with the person that you made a covenant with God with that it's impossible to tell where one of you ends and the other one starts. Some of you make fun of your parents. They're so desperately in love that they finish each other's sentences. You should be thanking God. They know each other and are so intertwined that they speak in stereo. That's a sign, an evidence 
of oneness. That's the ultimate. That's the ultimate, to have stood before God with another human being and made a vow, not in front of a judge, but in front of God, a vow and a covenant that says, I'm in this forever. Up, down, good, bad, right and wrong, and everything in between. If that hit a chord with those of my brothers and sisters in the room who are divorced, I'll send you back to about week two in the series because we did the best we could to talk about God's grace in your situation. What else did God create healthy expression for? He created healthy sexual expression for knowledge. Genesis 4.1 says this, Adam lay with his wife and he knew her. Let me tell you about my wife. Let me brag about her for a second. She knows me inside out and backwards. She knows my fears, my sin, my past, my present, my insecurities. And when someone truly knows you, that is real intimacy. Some of you are married, and you can't figure out why your sexual expression is off. Let me tell you why. It's because God sees you as one, but you've decided to live your lives as if you were two. And it's wrong. Flat out, unadulterated, no discussion, wrong. You see, when, when there's no vulnerability in a marriage, when there's no knowledge, when there's no trust, you can't connect at the deepest heart level. And at the deepest heart level, that's where God takes two and makes them into one. If that's you today, you need to pursue knowing each other. You know how you do that? It's ironic to me. You do the same thing we told the daters to do, and that should be a clue. You sit down at a table and you talk. Some of you quit talking a long time ago. Open your mouth. Start using your words. Let's go, married people. It's time for us to be at a higher level too. Here's the last one. God created healthy sexual expression for protection. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 7. Just listen to these words. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man... Not to have sexual relations with the woman. There it is again, my unmarried friends, okay? It's there. Deal with it. If you need help, come and we'll pray together, okay? Bible goes on. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Okay? Here comes a great verse for the guys. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. I like that verse, Okay? That's a good verse. You guys are being way too kind and polite right now, pretending you don't know what I'm talking about. I know you know what I'm saying, especially the guys. Okay. It says, and likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Here comes the key. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. If you are not fulfilling each other intimately, you're exposing both sides of the relationship to temptation. And the devil is more than happy to tempt you. You protect your marriage when there's no room for anything that can weasel its way in between one. You're living as two 
You might as well just kick the door open and say, devil, just come right on in and do whatever you want to with my relationship. You close that door when you protect it, and you protect it intimately. Sex within marriage is a gift that comforts and reproduces, brings about oneness and knowledge and protection. And I can say this from experience. That intimate love is worth waiting for. Some of you are thinking, Grant, it sounds so good. It's just not very realistic. Well, let me take a huge risk. You know, I never know how personal to get with this stuff. So I'm just going to throw it out there for all of those of you who think that you can't wait and be normal. Because I think I'm somewhat normal. And here's the deal. I waited, I waited for 22 years for my wife. And it was worth it. I was a virgin when I got married. And I'll tell you what, my wife was worth waiting for. Now, before you get this weird, twisted idea, let me say this. I wish I could tell you honestly that it was a decision based in holiness and righteousness. It was not. It was not. I think I did all the right things for all of the wrong reasons. I wish I could tell you it was because I was honorable, but the reality is it wasn't. But I'll tell you what, there is something to be said for good old-fashioned Baptist guilt, okay? Something to be said. Those of you from the Catholic background, you get it, don't you? I get it, you know? But here's the deal. I didn't cross that line, but I still brought a lot of shame and regret into our relationship. And I know some of you that are here today, you actually thought about not coming because you knew at some point you were going to have to sit here and go, okay, I blew it, so now what? Let me summon all the grace and lack of judgment that I possibly can from one broken human being to another. We all come to a moment when we realize that all of us belongs to Jesus. My mind belongs to Jesus. My heart belongs to Jesus. My body belongs to Jesus. And if I'll let him, my sin can belong to Jesus too. If I'll let him. We come to a moment where we have to make another choice. The choice to repent. To stop, to change, to run from sin and to Jesus. To turn our back on our old lifestyle and our past and to run towards a new life in Jesus. Holding on to all we have, which is a promise that if we come to him, he'll take us. Regardless of what we, we may have done in our past. So I can see eyes hitting the floor all over this room right now, and I imagine it's happening in Ferndale. So I'm going to close with this. We talked about love according to the Bible, dating according to the Bible, and sex according to the Bible. Let's talk about failure according to the Bible too. Because if you've fallen in this area, this is what God your Father 
says to you right now. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. I didn't say it. He did. Confessing you've blown it and charting a new course for your life through repentance and holiness, it means grace can cover your past and give you a new future. Here's what I love about Christianity. It's amazing news for people like me that have blown it. You know, we're all sinners here. We all stand equal at the foot of the cross. We've all fallen short of God's glory in some sort of a way. For some, it's a sexual failure. For others, it's a failure in ethics. For others, it's a failure in our family system. But at the bottom line, it's just pure failure. And to that failure, Jesus came and lived a sinless life and died on a cross to pay the penalty for my sin and your sin and my failure and your failure to give us all an opportunity that we don't deserve to live a life that's free from the sin of our past and holds to the promise of love, love from God both now and forever. Because you may have failed does not mean God sees you that way. He sees you as one of his precious sons, precious daughters. He wants a relationship with you so bad he was willing to die for it. I love this little quote from, that I found from Chuck Swindoll. Pastor Chuck says this, There's not a single saint that sits in a single church that he or she doesn't have a few things that they're ashamed of. Makes no difference how loudly we sing or how piously we pray. We've all been taken from the same dunghill. When God forgives, he forgets. Your past just ended a second ago. So you know how we're going to make the bridge from love to dating to sex to communion? Let me tell you how. We all got taken from the same pile of garbage. If we had a contest, I'll bet my pile is bigger than yours. We all got saved from the same garbage pile. We were all offered the same opportunity at life. God's grace is available to me as it is to you and to anybody else that's here. We all come to the table not based on how good we are. We come to the table based on God's invitation. And everyone in this room who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ has a dinner date with Jesus in about three minutes. Don't you dare miss it. Don't you let the enemy show up and say, you don't get to go because I know what you did. Jesus knows what you did and he forgives you if you ask him. And he says, I want a dinner date with you. You come and remember how much I love you. I love you enough to wash you as white as snow.
None of us comes with dirty hands. Not if we've been washed by the God who loves us. So don't you dare miss out. Don't you push your shame button tonight. You come because Jesus said you could come. And you come dancing because you're free.